Good morning. It, uh, it's awesome to see you here. It's awesome to see your encouraging faces. Uh, I would like to start with a word of thanks. Um, uh, so many of you have, uh, when you learned that I would be given this opportunity, uh, just really rallied around me and uh, you said prayers for me and you said prayers for me from the start all the way through and I've been feeling that. I've been feeling that encouragement. Um, this really is a, a loving and encouraging congregation. I want to thank you for that. Um, I also want to give a special thank you to Pastor Todd, who uh, really has come alongside of me and worked with me as I've worked through um, uh, developing today uh, and developing this message for you. You know, in Proverbs 13, 17, it says that an unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. So it's certainly my prayer today that this would be a healing message for you, a firming message, and an encouraging message. Now, some of you do know me. Um, however, there are faces that I don't recognize, and so you don't know me. So I thought that just to put us all on a level playing field, I'd uh, take you on a little tour through my life and literally how I got here today. Because if you noticed, we called up our pastors earlier, and I was not among them, right? So I never felt that this is my calling to be a pastor. I never felt that uh, even that this was what would, where God would lead me some point to be here in front of you uh, delivering a message. It just really wasn't part of what I had as a plan. So as a kid, uh, I was raised, born and raised in western New York. Um, I was the uh, second child of a mom who raised me as a single parent. There was no father in our household. Um, but right next door lived my grandfather and my grandmother and my uncle and my aunt, and that was the sort of homestead for our extended family, and I got to live right next door. So my, <clears throat> uh, from an early stage in my life, uh, I was introduced to Christ. Uh, I was in a church-going, Christ-believing family, uh, and I had every opportunity to move, to have that kind of story where you start little, and the whole way through, you never look back. But guess what? That's really not my story. Because as a teenager, whether I made a conscious choice or it was just by a little choices over time, I fell away from faith. I thought that there was far cooler things in the world than going to church and being involved in that scene. Uh, I got into rock and roll. I began to play the drums. I was in a band. Uh, that was just awesome for me. me. I mean, that was what I thought really my life should be about. So I think it's fair to say that at that time in my life, my life was more characterized by Van Halen's running with the devil <laughs> than it was onward Christian soldiers. So I had moved away, I had drifted away, and I thought that that's what my life was going to be all about. So as faith fell farther away from me, I still pursued um, what I thought was a pretty good life. After high school, I went off to college, and, and I worked hard enough to get into a pretty good college. And, and after that education, I went on to professional school, uh, went on to uh, study chiropractic, and I was out in Chicago, Illinois. That's where I met my wife, Carol. Uh, but at that time, still, uh, Jesus and the church was, maybe I was an acknowledger, yeah, I believe that there's a God. Sure, I believe that Jesus is and, and, and is who he says he is, did what he did. I believe all that, but I just don't really see how it 
applies to my life. And you know, I remember as I was going through my, this process of growth and sort of putting together a career, my mom would constantly remind me. She said, you know, Scott, you need to stop and just let God know that you're thankful for the things that he does for you. I mean, all of these good things in your life really are about what God's doing for you and his gifts that he's given to you. And I says, Mom, don't you understand what's going on here? I'm the one. I'm the one that's doing the work. I'm the one that's getting the advances. I'm the one who's earning my way. Mom, don't you see? It's about me. Really? It's about me. You know, and she persisted, and she persisted in praying for me, and she persisted in speaking truth into my life, and I understand now that that was an important part of how I got here. And so as Carol and I became uh, a married couple, uh, we were busy professionally. We were uh, developing the ability to do what I'm doing today, which is get up in front of people and speak. We were um, engaged in a group of, of uh, instructors that were teaching postgraduate education seminars, not only in this country, but we actually got to go internationally as well. So developing this kind of a thing for me professionally, I understood that, but I never saw myself using that particular skill set, and I guess I would call it today a gift. That's more accurate. I never saw myself using that gift in this particular way. So Carol and I began to eh, somewhat explore spirituality uh, at that time in our life. We had moved here to Massachusetts. We would set up a practice. We were taking a look at this and taking a look at that and finally found ourselves in Rockland at Calvary Chapel. We began to attend there sporadically. And something happened in our lives that really became a pivot point. So today we're going to be talking about pivot points. And a pivot point in my life was September 11th. 2001. And I think for those of us who live through that, it's a pivot point for all of us. I mean, it was a time that's really etched in our, in our collective memories as a nation and, and as individuals. And I remember at that point thinking that, you know, if I'm putting my faith in this world and this is what the world really has to offer, then I'm looking in the wrong direction. And that's Sunday. On September 16th in 2001, we went to a church service at Calvary, just like many people around the country were doing. They were, they were going to places of faith. They were seeking because you know what? The bottom had dropped out. The bottom had dropped out. And so Carol and I went, and I remember that, that before the pastor even got the final words inviting us to come forward for the altar call, we both stood up simultaneously and we began to move forward. And that was really the starting point of my mature relationship with Christ. Far be it from perfect. There was lots of stumbling and mistakes along the way, but it was my starting point again. And that's one of the encouragements that I have for you and that you will see through this theme today is that starting points and multiple starting points are common in life. And that we, we have the invitation to start again through Christ's grace. It's not anything that we earn or deserve, but it's what is freely given to us, and we need to step into that. So in February 2004, Carol and I first visited North River uh, at the recommendation of uh, her brother Jeff, who is a, a senior pastor in the Nazarene Church in Nashua. He said, hey, by the way, guys, do you know that there is a really cool church right around the corner from you? Uh, by the way, are you guys going to church right now? 
uh, well, you know, Jeff, Carly has just been born. We're super busy. Uh, we're kind of watching church on Sunday morning sometimes on TV, but no, not really, not really going to church. He says, well, how about we go this Sunday? I'll go with you because I met their pastor and I think he's really good. I think you'd like him. And so we came on that February morning in 2004 and we have been here ever since. Now, have I been here every Sunday, I mean, my friend Lenny keeps me honest there. Len, how many times? <laughs> Lenny, how many times have I not been here? Don't give me the number. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. But Lenny is my valued account accountability partner. Uh, but no, I don't make it here. I'm, I'm a regular guy, and things get in the way, and other things push out the great because I'm choosing the good. I'm still making those mistakes, but you know, God's gracious, and he gives me another chance. So, we began attending. Uh, Carol and I were baptized here. Our kids were dedicated here. Uh, there was an opportunity at one point to, to, to look at service, and I was really not interested. I was busy enough. I had plenty going on. I remember one day, uh, there was um, a ministry fair, and, and all of the ministries around the church were represented. There was tables, and there was people to talk to if you were so inclined, and I wasn't, and I'd begun to play the drums again. Okay, after a long hiatus, I wasn't playing the drums uh, through uh, a good chunk of my life, and Carol said, you know, you're playing again. Why don't you, you know, why don't you get up in there in the, the worship ministry? Why don't you volunteer for that? I was like, oh, Carol, I'm not going to play drums for the worship ministry. I'm not into that. Not what it's all about. Several minutes later, she came back and she said, uh, two Sundays from now, you're going to do an audition with David. I just talked to him. He is the pastor. He's the pastor. And you're going to do an audition and, and uh, you know, he thinks he could use you in the, in, the, in the worship ministry. So thank you, God, for the presence of a persistent and praying wife. I appreciate that. Yes. Shouts to Carol. So uh, my time in the worship ministry, also uh, my friend Derek Stearns uh, connected me at one point uh, to the drama ministry, and uh, I got to serve in that way, and that was a super lot of fun. And again, it was, you know, I didn't mind being up in front of people, so it didn't seem like it was too outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I actually served for a few seasons in, in vacation Bible school when the kids were small, uh, but that eventually led me to an opportunity, a conversation that I had my good friend Derek Churchill, who said one, af one afternoon as we were heading in to have dinner together, he goes, hey, you know, you really encouraged me about this whole ministry thing that I've been thinking about and praying about, and, you know, I'd like you to come along with me on that ride. Would you do that? And I was sitting in a car, and I really couldn't run away. So I said, you know, I'll think about it. And uh, it was our home that was opened up for our very first uh, meeting uh, for Guy Wire, and that was uh, quite a few years ago, and we're, I'm still able to serve in that ministry. I haven't been kicked out yet. And as a matter of fact, that's really the next step in how I get here this morning, because every year, Guy Wire hosts a Connect Experience, and that's where we put on speakers, and we uh, instruct and pour into the lives of our brothers here in this church, and even from around uh, the region. And I was selected to be able to, uh, to, to serve in that way, to get up and to, uh, to speak. 
Uh, had a lot of trouble with that initially. I really didn't think that I should be doing that. wasn't worthy, uh, didn't know enough, uh, wasn't mature enough on my walk, all kinds of excuses that kept me from moving forward. And the reason I share that with you is because I know that each and every one of you has a list of excuses as to why you're not doing something that God's not doing you to do because it's just part of who we are. God has something for you, and we're just saying, no thanks, not now. And so after the last connect, Pastor Paul came up to me and he goes, hey, you know, you did a really nice job. You know, I really see some growth here. You're, you're really, you know, you're pretty clear in your thoughts and I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I was like, well, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. The second conversation that we had was later on in the afternoon. He came up, he goes, you know, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical. I said, yeah, well, that's a great idea. Because, you know, I know the demand on a pastor's life and I'm fully supportive of the fact that you should take a break, but I know you guys never do. He says, yeah, you know, during that time, we're going to have some people that are going to be stepping in and stepping up and, and filling that gap that gets created when I'm not here to teach. And I said, that's, of course, right? You're going to get somebody to fill in. I'm sure they're going to be great. He says, you know, the pastoral staff's going to do that, but we'd really like to see somebody also from the church community step up. I said, that is a great idea. <laughs> He said, I'd like you to consider it. Whoosh, whoosh, the bottom fell out. The heart starts to palpitate. I can hear my heartbeat in my ears. And I said, well, hold on. Let's tap the brake a little bit there. <laughs> Please let me think about that. And so over the next few weeks, I did, and I prayerfully considered it. And I guess I realized when I had a chance to look back on what God had been doing and what, how he had been just sort of positioning me in different ways, and the steps were sometimes difficult, and the struggle was sometimes tough, but I kept on saying yes, and I think that's the key. The reason that I'm here today is that I guess boils down to the fact that I said yes, and that's what really God calls us to do. He calls us to say yes when he asks us to move forward in faith, and that's a tough thing to do. So, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Let's take a look at the, uh, where we've been. Uh, we've been looking at beyond brokenness. Um, we've looked at characters in the Old Testament. So we've looked at Moses. We've looked at Samson. We've looked at Elijah. We've looked at David. All fantastic figures in Scripture that are very, in, their lives are instructful to us. Is that a word? I think I might have just made up a word, instructful. Instructive, is that better? I do make up words as I go. So it's instructive. And, and the reason is, is because these, these are people, they look like us, and if we really slow down enough to, to kind of get into their stories, we realize that their lives look a lot like ours because there are low points and there are high points. There are times when they're following and there are times when they're falling away. And I can relate to that. You know, that all sounds familiar to me. And here's the critical point, that God always has a plan for restoration. God restored these characters, and he restored the life of the character that we're going to look at next, who is Peter. And you know what? Restoration is really amazing. The way that God can restore us is really amazing, and I think sometimes we just fail to move into that. And that's what my encouragement is today. So today we're going to be talking about pivot points. We're going to be talking about Peter's denial and restoration. And here's the big idea the big idea simply is this. This is, if you want to remember one thing from today, remember that Jesus' ability to pick you up is far greater than your ability to fall down, right? 
because we are prone to falling down, stumbling, falling, and sometimes we stay there for way too long. Miss out on God's blessings. So chapter 22 of Luke is where we're going to get started this morning. So the overview is, is this. Uh, the scene is that the disciples in Jesus are preparing for the Passover celebration. This particular Passover celebration will become the Last Supper. Jesus is gathered with his disciples in, in a room. They are having their meal together, and, and Jesus sort of settles things down after, after the, the meal is taken. He says, look, guys, I, I have to tell you something. One of you will betray me. And what do the disciples do? They respond with, well, who is it, Lord? Who is it? Is it me? Is it me? It can't be me. And you can imagine the scene. They're kind of floored by this, right? Who could possibly betray you? And they bicker and go back and forth. And that conversation leads to, well, I guess then if one of us is going to betray him, then one of us is probably the greatest. And who's that? Is it me? Is it me? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the, I'm the one. I'm the one. Sounds like a dysfunctional Thanksgiving dinner as we draw close to that season. And at a point, Jesus then focuses his, and, and, and his focus shifts over to Peter, and he says, Peter, I want to warn you that the enemy is trying to separate you from me. And Peter responds by saying, well, Lord, you know, that's not possible. I can't be separated from you, Lord. I love you too much. I'm too dedicated to you. I will follow you to jail, Lord. I will follow you even to death. And that is Peter's proclamation. And Jesus says, well, guess what? Before the morning comes, you're going to deny that you even know me. And I can't imagine what Peter felt at that point. The Bible doesn't give us a description, but it does tell us what ends up happening later on. So Peter experiences a pivot point. And what is a pivot point? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the anatomy of a pivot point. A pivot point uh, is, is simply a point in time where we're moving either upward or downward. It's a change in direction. So we can slide down in a pivot point. A pivot point can lead us down. A pivot point can also lead us back up. And that's what we're going to be talking about here for the rest of this time. We're going to take a look at what the Bible, how the Bible instructs us as to what occurred with Peter. We're going to go back to Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62, verse 54 so now the, set, the setting is that Jesus now has been arrested, and, and Peter, what does Peter do in Luke? He jumps up, he draws a sword, he lops off the ear of one of the servants of the temple guard. Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about, and heals the servant of the temple guard's ear. And now they've, they've seized Jesus and they're beginning to lead him away. They see, they're seizing him. They took him away to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some, of their, <clears throat> when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and she said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned 
and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered what the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So there's the picture, there's the scene. Uh, we see Peter, who was one of the original followers of Jesus. When Jesus went recruiting for disciples, it was Peter and his brother who were the first to follow. And Peter's story is awesome, uh, but we really don't have the time to sort of take you through the early parts of his story. This is where we are right now, though. But let's take a look at the first step that Peter makes when faced with what now is, I'm sure, an incredibly difficult situation. So Jesus has been taken, and it's not just one of those, hey, why don't you come along with us? We got a few questions for you. Let's go down to the station. No, there is evidence that it was quite violent, that they had seized Jesus, that perhaps the beating had already begun, the punching and the slapping and the mocking, and, and the intensity was growing. So this was a situation where the disciples and Jesus were under intense scrutiny. And what is the first thing that you do when something is really going bad? Well, maybe you, maybe you become afraid. Can you imagine that you're in the midst of this and you're a follower of Jesus in the middle of the night? These people show up and, it, and it's, it's a rabble. And, and, and they're intense. And, and they're physical. And it's vigorous. And it's scary. And the first thing that we, we have one of two options, don't we? Did you ever hear of the fight or flight response? Well, that's something that's inherent in all of us, that when we face an incredibly dangerous situation, we are geared to run or to fight. Now, Peter initially fights, but then he says, wait a minute, this is getting too hot. And Peter steps back. So the first point in the anatomy of Peter's pivot is that he begins following Jesus at a distance. That reminds me in my walk when I thought there was better and cooler things to do that I began to slowly step away. Yes, I certainly continued to go to church because as a kid I had no choice, but I totally zoned out. I sort of marked my time, and then when it was over, it was over for me. I was done until I had to go back the next week. The second point in Peter's life, so I, so I, can, I can identify with being afraid and being not wanting to be identified with Jesus. That was the me of my teenage and, and early adult life. Second place here is that some gathered in the courtyard, and they were putting together a fire, and I imagine now that the crowd is kind of growing, and things are getting more intense. It's the middle of the night, but there's a lot of noise going on, so more people are coming, and chances are the predominance of the people who were coming were not Jesus lovers and supporters, but they wanted to see what was going to happen how they were going to get rid of this Jesus problem. And the scene is getting more and more intense. And what happens now? Peter goes and sits down with the people in the courtyard as he further steps back and he further makes an attempt to blend in. Has blending in in your life ever been an option where that seemed a little bit better than coming out and declaring that you're a follower of Christ because the scene was a little too hot? I can relate to that. You see, my story is not one where I start early as a Jesus follower and I go all the way through to glory. No, no, no. I mean, I, I've stumbled, I've fall, I've backslidden, I've, I've rejected at times. 
So Peter steps away, then he begins a slide, and the next step in, in the anatomy of, the, of the, uh, the pivot point is that he begins to fall. He begins to fall away. And now Peter is demonstrating in words and action that he is not associated with this Jesus. There's pretty good evidence that the intensity at this point is peaking. The other gospels give us an idea that Peter's response is intensifying as well. So if we go back into scripture, verse 57, woman, I don't know him. Verse 58, man, I am not one of them. And then finally in verse 60, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Look at dude, you are losing it because I'm not one of them. So the fall is not the last point in the anatomy of this pivot, though. It's the bottoming out. Because in 61 and 62, we see that the Lord then turns and looks at Peter. And Peter remembers the word that he had had with Jesus, and it all comes crashing in on Peter at that moment. Is there a point in your life when you felt like things were crashing in? Like you were not only in the slide anymore, but you had bottomed out? That's where Peter is in this moment. And what does Peter do? He goes outside and he weeps bitterly. Not just a little tear, not just a little broken up, but he weeps bitterly. And as I was preparing this, I remembered a time in my life as a young kid when I think I approached this kind of bottom out. So I told you that I grew up next door to my Aunt Jerry and my Uncle Fran, and my Uncle Fran passed when I was five years old. So probably at that point, my one and only focal point as the man in my life was my Uncle Poppy. And suddenly he was gone, and so the family all sort of came together to take care of this really large property. I mean, she had a big, big yard. And it was all under regular management. My Uncle Fran did that. So we all took turns. By the time I became uh, nearly a teenager, I got the job of, of cutting the grass on a weekly basis. And, you know, to cut the grass on this lawn, I mean, it was, it was a five-hour job. And every day it was the blaring sun, and it was 85 degrees, and every pass was uphill, and it was just a tough, it was a tough job for five bucks because that's what I got paid. And I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering accurately, it was about four and a half, five-hour job of steady work. And one day, my life changed because down the driveway came a delivery truck, and on that delivery truck was a riding lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. And in my 12-year-old little guy mind, I said, well, naturally, Aunt Jerry has seen my toil, and she will be delivering me from this. And soon, I will be doing this. But that was not the plan. You see, because Aunt Jerry wanted to ride that lawnmower that she had saved up for for a long time, and I'm sure she had paid quite a bit for in those days' dollars. And it was not for me, but it was for her, and I was crushed. And so what did I do? I began a campaign of persuasion that lasted for at least two weeks before she let me get on that thing. And she said, well, look, I really think this is too much for you, but I'm going to give you a chance because, well, you just won't leave me alone. <laughs> so let me get you on this. And so I get on it, and I make my first few passes back and forth, back and forth with success. 
no loss of limb. And so then she began to trust me. And there was one area in the yard that we really had to be careful of because the grass swept up toward the asphalt, and there was an area of asphalt that was exposed about this much. And I was instructed very specifically, stop the lawnmower, raise the deck, go up and over, come back down, lower the deck, and that's how you get by that obstacle. Well, I had become pretty good and pretty confident in my abilities, and I decided that I can probably just pair those things together without having to stop the tractor. So I reached down and I pulled back up and as my one wheel hit that lip of asphalt, I dropped the deck right on the asphalt with a deafening, sickening crunch. And I was rattled. There was silence because the motor quit and everything. I thought, this is bad. And I got down and I shakily looked under the deck and it was nothing but twisted steel. Yeah, it was bad. I was in the slide and I was bottoming out. And so what did I do as a 12-year-old? I began to cry uncontrollably. I ran home. I ran down into the basement and threw myself on the couch that was in the basement that my dog slept on. And my mother came down. She says, what happened? What happened? She thought I'd probably maimed myself. I told her. And she says, well, we've got to go over there. We've got to face Aunt Jerry. And this was the woman who had just been my second mom, and I couldn't imagine how angry she was going to be with me and how, how, how she was going to go up one side and down the other and, 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 and really just sort of read me the riot act. And I couldn't bear to look at the anger and frustration and condemnation in her eyes. And guess what? When I finally got there, I didn't get any of that. Because Aunt Jerry was an amazing lady. And Aunt Jerry had a lot of love for me. And so instead of getting all those things that I just described, she brought me in with a tender look. She let me cry a little bit longer. She patted my back and she said, it's going to be okay. We can figure this out. And I said, hey, Jerry, I will continue to, run, to, to cut your grass even if I have to pick every blade by my hands. And she says, okay. <laughs> That's fine. And so for the remainder of that summer, while that brand new lawnmower was completely out of commission being repaired, I mowed Aunt Jerry's lawn, not for $5, but for zero. And every time I did it, I felt like I was paying her back for the kindness that she showed me in that moment. And so if we go back to Peter, we see Peter at a low point. We see Peter at a point where he's bottomed out. And we see Peter showing evidence of a broken heart. And God can really use broken hearts in an amazing way. God can use broken hearts in an amazing way. Because you see, this was the beginning of Peter's new start. God had always had a plan for Peter's life, and it didn't look like it was going to end here. No, there was a lot more to take a look at. So let's take a look at Peter's pivot points. This part is going to be the restoration. This is part of God's plan for Peter. On the other side of bottoming out is being reinstored and reinstated. On the other side of dropping down is being lifted up to start again. 
We all see that in our lives in some way, shape, or form. We have to realize that God has an up when we fall down. We have to remember that Jesus' ability to pick us up is far greater than our ability to fall down. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, I'm going to paraphrase here. Jesus now is resurrected. He's gone to the cross. He's, he's emerged from the grave. He is now appearing to his disciples. And in this particular passage, he talks to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Jesus then asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I, I just said I loved you. I, I do. Then take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. I don't think that there's any mistake here that there were three denials and there were three points of restoration. Because you know what? God knows our story. Jesus understands our hurts, and he can cover every single one of them. There is no hurt that's too great. There is no stumble that's too far that he cannot restore us. And that is really the encouragement and the good news of today's message. Three denials, three declarations, an intentional alignment, getting Peter back on track, personally restored by Jesus, and now let's take a look for additional evidence of Peter's restoration, and that occurs in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts, really just to remind us, is the story of the original church. And guess who plays a central figure in that original church? That's right, Peter. You see, God had a plan for Peter, and it included the fact that Peter was going to do what he did because God already knows before we do it. And yet, salvation is still available to us through Christ's sacrifice. That's a loving God, folks. But what, do we, what, can, we, what can we glean from the book of Acts about Peter's restoration? And this is important because now we're really building to God's vision for Peter. We're not concentrating anymore on Peter's missteps. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is now a powerful teacher. The Holy Spirit has descended on the believers. People are being saved and coming to Christ in large numbers, and the church is rapidly growing, and Peter emerges as a powerful teacher. In chapter 3, we see Peter depicted as a powerful healer. And in chapter 4, we see Peter speaking truth to the religious elite. That, to me, sounds a lot like what Jesus did in the Gospels. He taught, he healed, he spoke to the authorities in power as an authority himself. And we see now a picture of Peter, not the broken Peter, but the restored Peter. Not the weak Peter, but the strengthened Peter. Not by Peter's own power, but by God's. Because Peter had moved into what God had, in planned, had planned for him. So a question where does God want to take you? We saw today Caring Connection. There's yet another opportunity to serve out of your gifts. And not everybody serves in the same way. 
Not everybody wants to do certain things or is capable of doing certain things. In this church, we really concentrate on helping you to find where your strengths lie and how you can serve out of your natural gifts that have already been given to you. God gives you the gift. Your job is to share it out. But where does God want to take you? You know, I said yes to Paul to do this because I really felt like it made sense spiritually for me to step to this particular opportunity and to say yes, but it wasn't an easy process. It's never an easy process. I always look at these kinds of opportunities as, as, as having a particular kind of gravity and intensity because I'm not Scott talking about things that Scott wants to talk about, but I'm trying to be a faithful servant and deliver what God needs you to hear. So let's get back to Peter. And the final point of restoration that we see is Peter's own books of the Bible, First and Second Peter, authored by Peter. First uh, Peter uh, is a, an encouragement to the early church because you guess what? Things weren't going well for Christians at that time. Christians were being persecuted. They were suffering loss of, of jobs and status and family and friends. They were being persecuted to the point of death. And Peter writes to them and reminds them. And Peter now speaks out of his own personal experience. And you know what? We all have a story. We all have a testimonial. And Pastor Paul has encouraged us a number of times to kind of think about what your story is. And I had a chance to do that right here today, share with you. We all have a story. How did we get to this place today? You know, how did we get here? Begin to hone your story and own your story so that you can tell others when they say, hey, you know, you go to church, right? What's that all about for you? It's a great opportunity. And you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have gone to seminary to share your story. You just speak out of your heart, out of your own experience. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase here, but Peter encourages by reminding people these three points. We are all chosen by God. There's no mistake that you're here today. We are saved by Jesus' sacrifice, and we are set apart by the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit can then enter into our lives. We develop our relationship by by reading the Word, by spending time in prayer, by making it to church, by maybe going to a small group and learning more and growing the relationship. And guess what? At the end of that, God has something for us. And I don't know what that is for you, but I look out here today and I see people who serve in all kinds of different and very important ways. I see a congregation of people who step up and become the hands and the feet of Jesus, and that's what it's really all about. And guess what? You get to do it in your own way. You don't have to always do something. It doesn't have to be a chore or a drudgery to serve God. Take an inventory of what your spiritual gifts are. The Bible talks about them. We briefly reviewed them here today. Figure out what yours are. And be open to the opportunity. Be open to the idea of saying yes when God comes asking. Because he will. He will come asking. It's part of the plan. 
chosen by God, saved by Jesus, set apart, prepared, and equipped to do his work by the Holy Spirit, do his work for his glory and for the benefit of others. So what do we do? What are our action steps? Many times we get stuck at the point of blowing it, and we can never truly accept forgiveness. Some people say it's hard to forgive. Well, sometimes it's really hard to get forgiveness and accept it fully and to, to realize that Jesus' job on the cross was to blot out your sins and make them white as snow. All of the mistakes, all of the things you've said, the thoughts that you thought, the things that you've done, that's covered. Understanding and really knowing that in your heart is step number one. Step number two, you know, move into the plan that God has for you. I don't know what that is for you. I think I'm starting to see what that might be for me, and I have no idea where today is supposed to lead me other than to just do today. You know, in GuyWire, we say one of, the, one of our guiding principles is just move to the step that God has illuminated for you. Just that, that one step and then trust and know that he has a plan for maybe a second and a third and a hundredth and a thousandth and a millionth. But all we got to do is do that one step at a time and finally respond to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know the Holy Spirit was talking to Carol that day when she said, I think you're going to do the drum, Scott. No doubt in my mind. But sometimes we get spoken through too directly, right? We just feel it in our heart. And other times it's someone that comes up and says, hey, you know, I was wondering if you might be willing to do this because I'm thinking that this is a direction that I'm going in and I could certainly see you standing by my side as we take this adventure. Maybe that's what it looks like. You know, I don't know. But it's your job, it's our job to sort of move into that. So I look out and I see an awesome church. I see a church of friends who really prayed me and prayed for me and, and, and helped me to move through this um, opportunity. And once again, I do want to thank you for that, for being a church who is willing to uh, step up for one of your own when they're trying to move into a place that is way bigger than they ever had anticipated. So I thank you again for that. Let's pray. Father, um, we continue to be blown away by what you do for us, what you do through us. Lord, I ask that the words that were spoken here today find a place in the hearts of those who are gathered that, Lord, you begin to speak to your people and help them to understand what you would have them do. Help them, Lord, to receive and accept the forgiveness that you have in store for them. Lord, help them to begin to seek the plan that you have for them, Lord, because our greatest potential is when here in this life we begin to work for your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, it's in your glorious name I pray when I ask that you be with each and every person as they leave here today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Scott. And church, now I leave you with the words of Peter. The same man that denied Jesus says this in 2 Peter, May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Go in peace this week, everyone.